Have you ever considered the reunion in heaven when the church is caught up in the clouds with Jesus? Scripture states, We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. If you are a Christian living with Holy Spirit, what might it be like to see the one whom lived in you and guided you through life on earth? The reunion then leads into the Bema Seat of Christ, where many will receive our crowns of rewards. This will conclude with heaven's greatest wedding party, and oddly enough, all eyes will be on us, the Bride of Jesus. Join us as we break down the scriptures concerning the rapture, the role of Holy Spirit, crowns of rewards, and the seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Hello and good evening from the shores of the Atlantic Ocean on Long Island, New York. This is Mark Russick. You're listening to the Russick Outlook. Thank you, as always, for joining. I've mentioned before and I'll mention again, I value your time and it is my mission to make sure that it's time well spent. Uh, Today, we're going to be continuing our topic which began last broadcast on the rapture of the church. I explained previously what is the rapture, what are some uh, uh, examples in in the Old and New Testament that we can look at, um, as well as examining the the history of the word where we can find it, uh, because some people will say it's not found in the Bible, and, 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 and I showed you previously that it is. And, you know, why is it necessary, and what are some of the things uh, of when uh, it, it may be coming. So I, I, I've broken that down. I want to continue the topic today. I'm going to specifically lay a heavy emphasis on why I believe this is what's called the pre-trib rapture, that it would happen before the seven-year tribulation. And and then again, in the previous broadcast, I kind of outlined the the uh, the opinions of various people within the church the most popular being pre-tribulation, but there are some who believe it could happen at the midpoint or after or right around uh, the physical second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation. Um, None of this is tied directly into one's salvation. It's not worth arguing over if if somebody has a strong uh, opinion on the matter. Uh, I always tell people if you are a post or mid-trib uh, believer, I'll pick you up on the way up. Uh, and, and but but really, I believe, and I'm going to lay this out why I think it's overwhelming uh, that you know we can look towards the rapture of the church, which is the taking away. I should say, in case you're what listening for the first time, uh, it, what it means uh, uh, is, is basically you're going to be gone in, in in an instant and taken into the clouds of, of heaven with the Lord. So that's really what, what the rapture is, and we're going to break down the timing of it, uh, some of the differences between what's called the glorious appearing uh, and, and the rapture of the church, uh, as well as I've got a surprise for you at the end. I'm going to lay something out uh, concerning the rapture that I have never heard before, and, and to be honest with you, it just came to me very recently, so I, I, I really want to uh, give you give you something, a nugget to think about. So before we begin, I'd like to ask you if you could please hit the like and the subscribe button that you see no matter where you are watching or listening, uh, YouTube, the various podcast platforms, on the Russick Outlook itself. 
Uh, and if you're on the Russic Outlook, please join our email list. There's usually a little prompt that comes up. We inform you of uh, new topics, new discussions that are coming out. Uh, but also, we have something very special in store beginning in the fall, and you will only be notified about this or have that invitation, I should say, uh, via email. So you need to be on our email list. Uh, and, and I don't do anything with it other than keep it in-house. So on that note, let, it, let us begin with Heaven Bound via the Rapture. Uh, so if you're following me on video, I've got a what I think is a delightful scene where it's a gentleman who appears like he's he's on his way up into uh, the, the glorious appearing with the Lord uh, in, in the clouds. So I'm going to read for you 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. And, and this is really tying into why I believe that we are uh, to escape the wrath uh, which is to come. For those who don't know, the seven-year tribulation is specifically a seven-year period that's been carved out uh, uh, th that, that will happen, which will bring about the rise of the Antichrist, the one world government, and uh, just, just a, a, an incredible uh, degree of ugliness that the world cannot even fathom. I, I mean, I, I look at some things in preparation for this and you don't want to be here, trust me. If, if so, uh, you know, if somebody wants to point to me, oh, you're just trying to escape the, the tribulation or the wrath. Yeah, you better believe I am. I'm, I'm all for that. I'm an escapist. But anyway, First Thessalonians five nine through eleven, for God did not appoint us to wrath. Right there, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore. Comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So I'm not comforted if somebody says to me, you're going to go through the tribulation, you're going to experience the wrath of God, um, or, or even be around from it, even if I was uh, protected somewhat. First uh, Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10, for they themselves declare concerning what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So both of these scriptures taken from the book of First Thessalonians, this talks more about the second coming and the rapture than any, any book in the New Testament. Uh, Paul really lays this out. And it has to do a lot with the, the church of Thessalonica uh, because they thought they missed it. They thought they missed the second coming of Jesus. So he was really giving them detailed instructions with this. But I kind of wanted to lay the, the foundation there about what he says concerning the wrath. Next, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a twinkle in the eye. 1 Corinthians five fifty one through 53. Behold, and this is Paul again uh, writing to the uh, church in Corinth. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this incorruptible must put on corruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So let me begin with uh, some people who believe that it is a post rap or post tribulation believe that this has to deal with the seventh and final trumpet, which is the, the, the last indicator of God's wrath. 
but there there is motion here that when the Lord appears, and you'll see this as we go along, that the trumpet sounds, and, and some believe, and I, and I think there's a good case for it, and I'll show you in the final broadcast on this, that this will be on or around the Feast of Trumpets, uh, which would come sometime in the fall, depending upon what year it is. So at, at any rate, the twinkling of an eye, if you break it down in the definition, we're talking about the speed of light. So that quickly and that instantly, you could be gone from here. Um, you know, uh, first the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then uh, then we will follow them. So that's as fast as, faster than you can blink your eye is as quickly as this is going to happen. So uh, I, I am also going to break down in the last broadcast what this potential impact will have on the world. But you can just think about it for a second. If you're here and all of the Christians who have that right relationship with Jesus are gone in an instant, what the world may look like, how, what, what, or, or what type of impact that may have. I want to turn to Matthew 24, 40 through 44. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had not known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at any hour you do not expect. So again, you know, this ties into the the, the, the point, and I'm going to be breaking this down more in, in a few slides, uh, about the, the doctrine of imminency, that it, we are to be looking for Jesus. He could come at any moment. And I will say that if you believe in the post-tribulation rapture, that means you're, you're not, you know that you're waiting for the end of, of the outpouring of God's wrath. In other words, you have a defined slice of time. So this, this kind of flies in the face of, well, wait a minute. Are we to be waiting for the Lord at any moment? Because if you're into the tribulation, you know what is to come. Whereas if you're before the tribulation, you don't know. It's going to take us by surprise. I believe we'll know the season. I believe we'll have a sense of things coming up because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And I'd like to think he might be giddy about putting us out, uh, pulling us out. But, uh, you know, n n nonetheless, if you look at it that way, and I believe that is the proper interpretation, that, you know, we're, we're going to be taken out very, very quickly and unexpectedly. And it could be just as uh, Jesus laid out in this scripture, you know, a husband and a wife could be holding hands and depending upon their relationship with the Lord, in that instant, one could be gone and one could be left here. So that is the twinkling of an eye. Let me break down the events of the rapture before I get into what defines uh, the wrath of God and the wrath that we are to escape. Uh, if you're following me on video, I'm going to go left to right, uh, top to bottom from the left, and, and then top to bottom from the right. Uh, this is in, in order. Uh, the Lord himself will descend from his father's house where he is preparing a place. I will say, I'm not going to break this all down. I have all of the scriptures for every point that I am making here right now. If you're, if you're listening on podcast, uh, they're laid out on video if you want to look them up. This first one was John 4, 14, 1 through 3, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. He will come again to receive us to himself. 
He will resurrect those who have fallen asleep in him. That is, the deceased believers will come first. The Lord will shout as he descends a loud command, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. All of this takes place in the twinkling of an eye. We just talked about it. We will hear the voice of the archangel. The archangel is Michael. He is the only archangel, and it is referenced four times, and it is always the archangel. Uh, and perhaps this, uh, some would believe that this may be uh, the voice to lead Israel into the seven years of tribulation. We don't know that for sure. That's speculation, but it's, 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 it's grounded pretty well. We will also hear the trumpet call of God, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the last trumpet of the church. And now this is the point that I was making earlier. Do not confuse this with the seventh trumpet during the tribulation, which is Revelation 11.15. The trumpet call of God is 1 Thessalonians 4.16, and it's the last trumpet for the church. Next, the dead in Christ will rise first. Corruptible ashes of their dead bodies are made incorruptible, joining together with their spirits, which Jesus brings with him. So again, if you are deceased or you have a family, friend, loved one who has gone on, who knows the Lord, they are in the presence of the Lord. Scripture, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. But they're Incorrupt, their corruptible bodies are then made incorruptible and join with them, in which case we follow. We who are alive and remain will be changed or made incorruptible by having our bodies made immortal. Uh, one person said, well, you know, w w will I be naked when I go up? And, and I heard a, a minister say, well, I hope you're going to be in good shape. Uh, I guess I needed the symbol there. We will be caught up, raptured together. We will be caught up in the clouds where the dead and the living believers will have a monumental reunion. We're going to have a reunion in the clouds. We meet the Lord in the air. Christ will receive us to himself and take us to the Father's house. We're going for a trip to Jesus' Father's house, Yahweh's house. We're coming. And so we shall always be with the Lord. At the call of Christ for believers, he will judge all things. This is good judgments. And I'm going to show you uh, in a little while what I mean by that. Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I give you Romans 14.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and described in detail in 1 Corinthians 3.11.15, which will set the stage and prepare us for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Before Christ returns to earth in power and great glory, he meets his bride, the church, and the marriage supper has to take place. In the meantime, after the church is raptured, the world will suffer unprecedented outpouring of God's wrath, which our Lord called the Great Tribulation. So here you've set the stage. We're going to be called up. The dead in Christ will be called up. We'll be joined together. We will meet. We will be taken to the Father's house. Then we will be bought before what's called the Bema Seat of Christ, the Judgment Seat, where we get rewards. And I'll break that down shortly, too. That then follows into the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, where we are the Bride of Christ. What happens when you go to a wedding feast? Where are your eyes? Your eyes are on the Bride. All eyes will be on us. Uh, and, you know, as hard as, it, as hard as it is to believe, uh, you know, I am humbled because you say all eyes are on Jesus, which absolutely is the case. But we are more or less the guest of honors. So, you know, consider all of the angels, the celestial beings, and, and, and the glory of heaven, 
and our eye and all eyes will be on us. Man, that's that that's that's an image I want to hold on to. So let me swing from that. So while this is all taking place, unfortunately, the ones who do not believe in the Lord, who did not accept his invitation, will be experiencing the wrath of the Lord. They will, there will be many that will, you know, uh, come to know the Lord during this time, but they will pay a heavy consequence. It goes on throughout the book of Revelation that they will become martyrs, and many times they even often beheaded. Uh, or you would take the mark of the beast. If you take the mark of the beast, your, you know, your, your eternal destination is sealed. But for those who refuse, it's going to be incredibly difficult because if you don't, you won't be able to buy, sell. You won't be able to travel. You'll be restricted. You'll be, uh, you'll be marked. Uh, you'll, you'll, you're, you're basically, you're, you're a bullseye in the target of the enemy. So let me break down why, or I'm going to show you what is the wrath of God by showing you um, the seals, the the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of judgment outlined in the fir- in the seven years of tribulation. Just how incredibly horrendous this will be. So I'm sorry, I I I forgot. So bear with me. I wanted to just I I got one slide ahead of myself. I wanted to set the stage to bring you to scripturally speaking, why I say even more so that we are not to experience the wrath. Number one, Christians are not appointed to wrath. God has has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation by our Lord, according to 1 Thessalonians. Um, number two, the church is to be delivered from the wrath, of, uh, wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1 through 10, Jesus rescues us from the wrath. The, uh, this letter is one of the first books of the New Testament and emphasizes the second coming, the imminent return of Christ, the rapture, the tribulation, and other end-time subjects. Um, Paul mentions the second coming in every chapter of this book in 1 Thessalonians. Number three, I think this is a huge point. The church is not mentioned in Revelation 4 through 18, which outlines the seven years of tribulation. The church is, is, is last is only mentioned through the first three chapters, and then we don't hear about it until we return with Jesus. So, uh, 17 times in the first three chapters, but after that, no. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I, I think that's an incredibly powerful statement. Number four, imminent is the word used to describe the doctrine that Christ would come at any moment to call his bride to his father's house. Watch, house, watch be ready. Look for him at any moment. The other three views do not hold this point. In fact, they are not looking for Christ, but rather they are looking for the Antichrist. And and that sounds crazy, but that's true because, you know, at that point, if you're dealing with or if you've come to know the Lord, you're you're you know the Antichrist is, is coming to the stage, coming to the world stage. And the fifth and final point that I, that I think really drives this home is the Lord promised to deliver us, Revelations three ten. It says, Because you have kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. So through the promise appears to be written to the church of Philadelphia. We know that this is is written to the churches in general. It's a future event. Uh, The church of Philadelphia has long been disbanded, but the letter was written to all churches. We can all, uh, if you look at the seven letters of uh, written in Revelation to the different churches, you can find a a theme or a common denomination in all of them to churches around the world today. 
the, the, the fourth aspect of this fifth point is the promise will not be fulfilled until a trial comes upon the whole world. It's what you just read in Revelation. And last, the Greek word from is translated out of. So really, if you break this down, and you know that's what the New Testament is written in Greek, it says, I will keep you out of the wrath to come. So again, that's that's pretty clear. So let me break down these the uh, the, the these points. I'm going to go through it quickly. Um, it, it's all in Revelation. Many of you know it. I'm, I'm not saying anything, but I just want to emphasize how horrible this will be. The Antichrist rides the right horse. Uh, uh, he's the first horseman of the apocalypse. He's wearing the crown of the bow with no arrows, indicating he will conquer the world's government with peace. Remember, he's going to come and, 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 and set the stage for peace in Israel and specifically on the Temple Mount. Uh, the second one is the red horse rider indicating blood and death. It says it was granted to take peace from the earth that men would slay another, one another and a great sword was given to him. Third point, uh, the black horse arrives with scales in his hand saying a quart wheat of denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius for, uh, and do not damage the old oil and wine. Basically, what this is laying out is famine uh, is, is about to come upon the land with following military conflicts. The monetary descriptions indicates that it will be one-eighth of its former value. So I'm in America, so basically, you know, I'm talking about, you know, maybe 12 cents on the dollar. Um, approximately 25% of the world will die in the early stages of the tribulation. So this is just within the first week, um, first year. Uh, approximately 25% of the world's population will die. Uh, six things take place before the sixth seal opening. They are a great earthquake, earthquake. The sun is blocked out. The moon becomes like blood. Stars fall to the earth. Sky tears apart like a scroll. Every mountain and island is moved out of place. So the entire world will shake. This causes further rebellion against God. They begin to pray to the rocks and the, and the enemy fall on us, kill us. Uh, they want to be taken from the wrath of the Lamb, it says in Revelation 6.12. And the seventh one introduces the next series, which is the trumpet. So, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to him. Hail and fire is the first one mixed with blood thrown down into the earth, resulting in one third of the earth is burned up and a third of the trees and all the grass. Number two, something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. This caused a third of the sea to be turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third, a great star falls from heaven burning like a torch and fell on one third of the rivers and on the spring waters. The star is named Wormwood, meaning bitter. I, I will talk about this in, in the next broadcast. I, I will just preface it by saying NASA has discovered a star that's coming. Uh, they have the dates of, of which it potentially could hit the Earth or around the Earth or cause uh, things to come into place. And you'll be surprised at just how close that is. It's, it's going to happen this decade. Let me put it that way. Um, you can't guarantee that it is, but I just found it interesting that the scientists at NASA named it Wormwood. A third of the sun, moon, stars are diminished. This parallels the ninth plague in Egypt, darkness upon the earth. Another star, uh, the fifth one, another star falls to the earth from heaven. Possibly Satan or a special angel that comes with the key to the bottomless pit. The key opens the swarm of demonic locusts, which are permitted to torture but not kill people for five months. 
also mentioned in Joel uh, 2.11. So, uh, you're, you, you know, that's just another aspect of this. Demons are going to be everywhere uh, throughout the earth on this time. Hell is unleashed. I don't think that's going to be Satan that's in, in that instance, but, you know, I can't say for sure. Uh, I think in the next broadcast, I'll, I'll lay out why. Uh, the 614 specific angels are released commanding 200 million demons going forth as horsemen to inflict death on one third of the people. By this time in history, at least half of the earth's population has now died. So this is the end of only the first half of the tribulation and half of the world's population has died. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose use loose numbers. We're roughly, say, 8 billion people. Let's say 2 billion go up in the rapture. That leaves 6 billion people. In three years or three and a half years, 3 billion people are gone. Could be more, um, but that's, you know, giving you just kind of painting a picture of, of just how catastrophic this will be. Seventh one announces the seven bowl judgments, which are the finals. This is laid out for the final three and a half years. Um, this bowl is poured out on those with the mark of the beast. So if you've taken the mark, uh, it will inflict great sores uh, on your body. You'll be screaming in pain. Uh, the second one is poured into, sea, into the sea, turning the oceans into blood so that every living creature that was alive will die. So the stench and the disease left is unimaginable. Picture every living creature in the ocean is now dead. This bowl is poured into the rivers and the springs of rivers. All remaining fresh water is now turned into blood. The fourth one uh, poured upon the sun, scorching people with fire. Scripture indicates they blasphemed the name of God. They did not repent. So as bad and as horrendous as this is, and a lot of them have taken the mark, they've got the sores, they're screaming in pain, but they won't die. Uh, so they're, they're, they're cursing God. The fifth one, this bowl, bowl is poured into the stone, uh, into, I'm sorry, this bowl is poured in the throne of the beast. His entire domain will be blacked out, similar to the darkness in, in Exodus. There will be some kind of agony that will cause people to gnaw at their tongues because of the pain, but yet they continue to, to blaspheme God. Number six, Poured on the great river Euphrates, so it dries up. This prepares the way of the kings of the east to come to the mountains of Israel for the great and final battle of Armageddon. I will say at this passage, it also talks about the army of 200 million. Uh, and, and if you look east, that would have to cross the Euphrates River, and you have an army of 200 million in China today. So I'm not saying that it's Chinese people, but I'm saying that the Chinese military fits the bill here. The seventh and last ball will be poured into the air, which results in flashes of lightning sounds and peals of thunder, which announces the greatest earthquake in the history of the world. This earthquake will be felt around the world. It will cause Jerusalem to be split into three sections, which prepares the way for the millennium. This is also the moment of Babylon's destruction, which we know will happen in an hour. Scripture also indicates that 100-pound hailstones will rain down and still men will curse God. So this is giving, painting you just a very quick picture of the wrath of God. This is why I say we are not to be put into the tribulation. If you disagree and you believe you are supposed to, um, 
you know, God bless you. I'm not, again, I don't want to get argumentative about this. It is not my intent, but I believe scripture is abundantly clear that we will go up to heaven in the rapture before the tribulation. I want to talk briefly about the doctrine of imminence now, which ties back into this. Uh, The pre-tribulation rapture is the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, imminent means without warning at any moment. In other words, Jesus can come, the rapture can come at any time, at any moment. The pre-tribulation rapture is the only view that uh, allows for the rapture to be imminent in its timing. All other views require a number of prophetic occurrences to take place before the rapture. Therefore, it is not imminent. Jesus repeatedly said to his return for the church would be a surprise. The Lord even went beyond that by saying he would return as a thief. The day or the hour knows no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Watch therefore, for you know not when the hour of the Lord comes, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watched the thief, he would have watched and not suffered. We read that scripture, different interpretation earlier. Uh, Therefore be you also ready, for in such an hour as think not the Son of Man comes, who then is faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord has made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom the Lord has come, shall find his doing. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour that the Son of Man comes. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. This type of any-moment language doesn't fit a post-trib rapture. If Jesus were prevented from coming until after the battle of Magog, the rise of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, we would have no need to watch for him before the tribulation. In other words, if we know all these things are going to happen, then there is no imminency. If the church were required to go through the seven-year tribulation, you would expect the New Testament writers to have warned us to be prepared for trying times. On the contrary, New Testament writers repeatedly tell the church, be comforted for the coming of the Lord. The word comfort alone strongly implies the rapture will take place before the tribulation. Judgment seat of Christ. As I mentioned, we're going to go through this. Let me read 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are also, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, for, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. It's very, very clear. Romans 14.10, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every man rece- that everyone receives the things done in his body. So this is, this is a good thing. So anything that we've built that we think is, you know, on our own or puffing ourselves up or, or whatever, but if, our, if we've built or if we've laid things in, in, in mind with the, to be a kingdom builder, I'll call it, bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth, uh, then we will be rewarded. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I've given you the scriptures here 
there are five crowns of reward at the Bema Seat of Christ. So this is where, after the rapture of the church, this is what we are to receive. There is the incorruptible crown called the, the, the victor's crown, found in 1 Corinthians 9, the crown of life, which is the martyr's crown, Revelation 2. Uh, the crown of glory is the elder's crown, 1 Peter 5, 2, 4. Uh, the soul winner's crown, the crown of rejoicing. You can find this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. And last is the crown of righteousness, uh, which is found in 2 Timothy 4, 8. So these are the rewards of what, what we are to expect if we have done good deeds that through the test of fire it will show to have, have stand and withstood and produced fruit, I'll call it. So that is the judgment seat of Christ, which will then transition to the, uh, 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 the marriage supper of the Lamb. So let me read Revelation 9, 19, 6 through 10. Then I heard what seemed to be the great of a voice multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our, mighty, our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. You can find this in Revelation 19, 6-10. You can also see similar verses in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. I want to lay out a little bit of what the marriage or the wedding custom is in Jesus' day. Um, the, 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 it, it was signed by, uh, the agreement was signed by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. Uh, this contract was signed by the parents of the bridegroom, and the bridegroom himself would pay a dowry, a down payment to the bride of her parents. So it's similar to what we see today. Uh, or it's kind of an arranged marriage with, you know, uh, I, I'm in America, so we don't see it, but I know, you know, people who have, that's, that, that's how they go through it. And the parents get together and they work that through. The bridegroom, accompanied by his male friends, went to the house of the bride at midnight, creating a torchlight parade through the streets. Such a parade would not be a surprise to the bride. She knew well in advance such an event was taking place. They would then all join in the parade and end up at the bridegroom's home. Such a custom is the basis of the parable of the ten virgins. If you read Matthew 25, 1 through 13, it gives you the exact parallel uh, of what is to come or what will take place in heaven. The events described by Jesus in, in Revelation 19, 7 through 10, which I just read, describe the third phase of the wedding feast of the marriage supper. John isn't meaning to skip the first two phases because it is communicating this has already happened. So in other words, the down payment's been made and we've already uh, accompanied and, and uh, um, gone and, and engaged in the parade. The first phase was completed on earth when each individual Christian placed his or her faith in Jesus. The dowry, the down payment was paid by the bridegroom's parent, Yahweh, because of the blood of his son on behalf of the bride. Finally, the church is betrothed to Christ much the same way as the wise virgin in the parable. All Christians should be watching and waiting for the appearance of the bridegroom of the Lord. The second phase picture, when Christ comes to claim his bride and take the church to the Father's house, which is the marriage supper. 
This follows as the third and final step in the glorious celebration for who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So again, we're going to be the bride. Last, and I'm going to close on this. Um, I, 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 I don't know how to explain it, but I'm going to say, so the title of this little section here is What About the Holy Spirit? When We Are Raptured Together. And I thought about this and I said, you know what? In a sense, the Holy Spirit is rapture because the Holy Spirit lives in every believer and he's now going to be called out of the earth. And I'm going to break this down a little bit more. But he's lived with me virtually my entire life. I'm going to be thrilled to to meet with the Holy Spirit in the clouds. And I'd never looked at it that way until recently. So he's really, he's a big part of the rapture. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to giving him, you know, if I can get that close and I've asked the Lord to allow me big hug, uh, because it, it's going to be awesome. So anyway, second Thess- Thessalonians two, six through seven. And now, you know, what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of the law of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So as bad as the world is right now. Uh, there is a restrainer in the world and, and holding the devil back from just full, uh, you know, uncontrollable havoc, which is the Holy Spirit in us, which is the Church of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia, you know, all of the don- denominations who know and have relationship with the Lord. So he re- works as the restrainer of evil. If the pre-tribulation assumption is correct, the Holy Spirit's restraining influence is removed. So this, again, is just another reason that we're not to go through the tribulation. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12 mentions a man of lawlessness is held back. Since the lawless one is also called the beast or the antichrist or Satan, cannot be revealed until the strainer is taken away. Thus, the tribulation cannot occur until the church is removed from the church, uh, from the earth. Of all the views on the timing of the rapture, only pre-tribulation harmonizes this when we understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who is the restrainer. The wicked one is a personality. His operations include the realm of the spiritual. The restrainer, likewise, is a personality and of spiritual order in order to resist the devil and hold the Antichrist in check. The restrainer must be a member of the Godhead if he is stronger than the man of sin. Consider the spiritual parallel of Old Testament days of Noah to what is foretold in the tribulation. It is significant that in the days immediately preceding the flood, the restraining work of the Spirit is emphasized. So also consider Isaiah 59:19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy comes like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Amen. The Holy Spirit may not be carrying out his unique ministry in the tribulation as he does with today's church, but he will certainly aid the tribulation believers as they endeavor to live for the Lord. So he's going to have a big role to play, but it's going to be a much different role in these seven years. He will also seal and protect the 144,000 Jewish witnesses for the great evangelistic outpouring to the Jewish believers and with a heavy emphasis on Israel, plus the two witnesses in chapter 11, which we're going to talk a little bit about because they're going to be involved in the rapture, and I'll, and I'll explain that uh, in the next one. So at any rate, 
that's that's you know where where I, I'm I'm leaving off because there again there's just so much information and I uh, I, I just you know I'm trying to paint the picture it's, it's just you can go on for hours and hours with this uh, in the in the final broadcast I'm going to lay down uh, the specific differences as Scripture lays out between what's called the glorious appearing the physical appearing of God and the tribulation uh, I'm sorry and the rapture. Uh, I'm also going to point out a lot of signs of what we see today. Uh, some things that may kind of point us to the potential timing of it in terms of the seasons, uh, not necessarily the year or the month, well, maybe the month, um, but I'm, I'm going to lay some things out. And, and then some other interesting uh, observations that I think y- you might get a kick out of, uh, and, and it'll kind of put a bow on this whole thing. So, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, gathered some good information. No matter where you stand on it, I'm still your friend. Uh, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, doesn't matter. Jesus is Lord. We can argue about the rest in heaven. Uh, but at any rate, any questions, comments, please email me at russicoutlook.com. Happy to do so as well as take any type of prayer request. <clears throat> I've been uh, th- thrilled uh, recently praying for others who have asked me to pray for uh, um deliverance uh, yeah, um, for salvation for others. And we're starting to get feedback from around the world. We're starting to reach outside of this country, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I've heard from the Netherlands recently and Australia, and uh, who knows what is to come. So anyway, um, my name is Mark Russick. You've been listening to the Russick Outlook. And remember, as always, just my opinion.